crunch mode for that was just constant. It got a little more heated. Like, I remember fighting. We're, like, we were squirting each other with water pistols. And we got into this wrestling match where we are trying to dunk water on each other's heads. And it was getting really like, I was like, this has gone too far. We're trying to kill each other. I think we really want to kill each other. And I, I was married at the time. And that's when that marriage ended. Because I was like, at work all the time, I didn't understand why it bothered my wife. I was like, I'm the one working super hard. What do you? Why, why are you complaining they're not coming home? And she was like, okay, fine. And then <laughs> before I knew it, it was over. And I was like... Oh, that's why. Oh, that's why I should have gone home. Wow. Tim Schaefer joined us, and he was dropping some some wisdom. Or Actually, he was just talking about his experience with Crunch. You know, sometimes Crunch is kind of self-imposed because of the passion for the craft. Sometimes it's imposed upon you yeah. to meet a deadline, and those feel very different. And it's also industry chatter. So, like, people know which studios crunch more than others. It, it, you know yeah, I mean? it's a little, it's sort of cultural a, a little cultural bit. Cultural, too. I think our industry has matured a oh, lot. A I, I'm not sure we give ourselves enough credit for, well, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to give yourself credit for, like, stopping being a criminal. <laughs> right. But, uh, but well, some it, aren't it, has, criminals, it definitely though. has changed. Some aren't criminals. So there are I know, some I, that, I was exaggerating. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, yeah. yeah there are, but mean. there are some, though. There are some that like yeah. look for people that are straight out of college. And right, just hungry. try to take advantage. Yeah, yeah and they're like, yeah, yeah. this this person's going to work eighty hours a week. I'll hire them, pay yeah. them twenty k a year. Not so good, not so good. But yeah. how cool was it to uh, to hang out with Tim? He just he makes cool. me laugh constantly. Yeah, he's funny. I just I, ke- I kept I kept noticing myself fa- kind of falling off camera because I was laughing. He was funny. <laughs> I know. I, I want to talk about this. Whenever I opened my mouth about, I think conspiracy theories came up. I think he brought it up. You must have felt real comfortable because you. Oh, were just I love happy talking to... about that stuff. And I wanted to preface so people are about to listen to the episode, and there's a part where he, he he we start talking. We didn't get to finish the point, but I told you after we stopped recording, and I wanted to talk about because the concept of conspiracy theories is very similar. Specifically, the moon landing is very similar to the game industry. Have you ever heard of the E3 demo? You know, have I ever heard of the E3 demo? You know the E3 demo. You've probably made a few yourself. Oh, you mean the 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 smoke and mirrors? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, everything is scripted. But but hold hold on a second. I can't just let you go off on this thing where you started off by saying that the moon landing is a conspiracy. I never said it was fake. There are fake elements of it. Is what I'm saying. So it's like there. Like I'll give you an example. The moon lander itself. You're saying you just said you're just saying it's partially fake. There are elements of the moon landing that are fake, I believe, on purpose. And by <laughs> yeah, like think about it. Like imagine like like the and I'll, it's like the E3 demo. I, my my hand is hovering over the edit button. <laughs> you know no, that, right? no, I just <laughs> dude, you do that all the time. It's like a it's like a it's like an in-game. F- I'll give you an example. We've taken screenshots. So every game I've worked on, the game's not out yet. Electronic Gaming Monthly is like, hey, we need screenshots. Yes. And then it's and you like... pose it. And we don't have... Yeah, you pose the camera. Yeah. We don't... Ha- hey, that effect isn't ready. Do you, remember, do you remember Ben Bro talking about how he had to add, do those screenshots? Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> thing, yeah. and they probably ghost. Photoshopped them too. Post. Yeah. So that's all yeah. I'm saying. That's I think yeah, there's okay. fake elements, and I think people use those. Maybe to, they they got a little like f- Photoshop, you know, the alpha version of Photoshop back in '69. 
on that moon landing they cut, image? I think they have fake photographs <laughs> that they used in marketing. Not for the moon landing, like promo, specifically. But, but like promo stuff, maybe? Yeah, in the 80s, probably. They're like, oh, let's just take this picture and put him in space. And, right. then the, and then the conspiracy. That's all I wanted to say. See, I see it. Every time we talk about this stuff, you freeze I, well, up. Look, I you just want people up. to think this episode is about conspiracy theories. It no, was, it's it not. Was a little I just bit want of flavor, to clarify. Maybe. I want to clarify. Okay. <laughs> and everyone that can't see you, Alex, by the way, everyone, audience, when this stuff comes up, because this stuff comes up with like other people, important people, and I'm in the room, and Alex, you can see his face. <laughs> it's so funny. You get scared so quick. You're like, oh, snap. What's Aaron going to say? What's Aaron going to say? No, Aaron, no. You know, and this is true. Y'all used to have a a, a, a website it was called what was it Shit called? Aaron the one Says. At, uh, yeah. IT, like, because I would say random that stuff. It was one of my favorite sites. We got to yeah. bring it back. All right. Well, okay. All right. Okay. How, no are, bad, how bad are you, buddy? Words. What's happening? What's going on? <laughs> You're coming out here. We're all going to hang out. I'm excited for next week. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to hang out. Going to California. Did you? You didn't I get. You didn't get the COVID over at Gen Con, did you? You good? No, apparently everybody did. <laughs> oh, I think I've had COVID seventy-two times. I was talking now. to somebody uh, the other day who told me they've had it four times, like actual straight up four times. I had it once. Yeah. It was not fun. Can't imagine. No, it's mm-hmm. the worst thing I've ever had. You can't breathe. Like it's a yeah. very like. Ugh. All right. Yeah, it's not good. Mm. I, don't I got. Like it. I got a couple. It's things. real. Um, hey, actually, hold on a theory. second. Hold on. A second. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You can't get away while we're doing a video. All right. Well, he's gone. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Hey, Alex hey, hey. actually has a basement. <laughs> and inside know. the basement. Um, oh, that is true, movie. actually. Um, I got, <laughs> he's like, I got no. this in the mail, and I think I know what it is, and I'm going to open it up. I think. What is it? I'm excited. camera. Here we go. I'm excited for this. Oh, wait. We're not doing oh, this. It's packed really well. well Where'd you get it? Who'd you get it from? from I sent it to you. Oh, David, David Jones. But it is from another OG famous oh, he's game dev. Let me see. I think it is. I think this is it. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Look at that. How come I don't get anything in the mail? So this is, yeah, this oh, is John snap. Romero's book. John Romero, um, Doom Guy. And? Watch it say, Dear Aaron, <laughs> I love your voice. <laughs> what does it say? From Doom Guy to Halo Guy. Nice. I couldn't wait to start reading it. So I, I actually started reading it before I got here. It's um and it's getting incredible reviews. Is it good? Really good. All right, what else going on? Oh hey, I wanna give a shout out to our old buddy Mark Bernal. We reconnected with Mark on our on our Discord oh, cool. and I love he's Mark. nicest guy who's the art director nicest on guy Myth, in the universe. Indie artist. He's got a go check out his website, suddenuniverse.com. Go check out suddenuniverse.com. And he is giving us a t shirt to give away. Yeah, check out his art. His art is, uh, he's got a super cool style and his merch is pretty cool. So we're going to give it away. He he very generously is donating one of his custom t shirts, uh, which will enter into our codes game. So. Head on over to our Discord for a chance to win some of that merch. Thanks, Mark. His style reminds me of a mix between Mobius and Crumb. Huh? Yeah. Like yeah. It's like kind of like a. I see. It's like somewhere in the uh-huh. middle. Like it's like yeah. imagine those are two extremes. He's like. I th- I think he'd like that. I think he would like that description. Like that's a pretty nice description. All right, man. I'm excited to to share this conversation with Tim. Why don't we get that rolling? Leveling up your game dev career but not sure where to start? Maybe you're trying to break into the industry. 
looking to connect with other people who are making games. Consider joining the International Game Developers Association, the IGDA, the world's largest nonprofit, member-driven professional association serving all individuals who create games. I was in the IGDA in Chicago, met a lot of people, great way to network. The IGDA exists to support and empower game developers around the world in achieving fulfilling and sustainable careers. Discounts, educational and advocacy-based resources, mentorship, and solidarity across 160-plus chapters. To join the IGDA, visit IGDA.org membership and use the code IGDA 4th Curtain 15, no spaces there, to get 15% off one- and two-year memberships, as well as a student membership. Joining the IGDA is a great move for your career, and as a nonprofit supporting everyone making games, it's a great move for the whole community. Join today. Hello, everyone. Aaron and I are honored to have with us today a favorite of mine, I think a favorite of all of ours, Tim Schaefer. Welcome, hey, Tim. Tim. Is it appropriate Hello. for me to woo myself? Yeah, it is. I didn't say hi to you. I'm Aaron, by the way. I didn't say hi to you. Hi, hi to you both. <laughs> hi to both of you. Well, let's see. Tell me how accurate the rest of this intro is, Tim. Okay, I'll make sounds. Yeah. Start at LucasArts. Mm-hmm. You worked on Monkey Island, mm-hmm. Day of the Tentacle. Mm-hmm. My favorite from your catalog, Full Throttle, vroom, vroom. which I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you my... Pet peeve. Your pet peeve. No, no, it's not a pet peeve. Uh, it's a it's a big compliment. And Grim Fandango, that was at Lucas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I'm doing pretty good so far. Um, soon thereafter, leaving Lucas, founded Double Fine, mm-hmm. and I know the year that you said that must have been 2003, right? Was that 2003? The year 2000. The year 2000. Was it 2000? Mm-hmm. Grim was 98. Double Fine started 2000. All right. Okay, because it was right around when, when we started Wide Load. Mm-hmm. He doesn't stop talking about this, by the way, Tim. This comes up like 10 times, at least 10 times a week. What? The year 2003? What? What he's about to tell you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but like, <laughs> we, I remember there was a GDC yeah. uh, where they gave out an award for Best New Studio that we were nominated, but oh, Double no. Fine won. Oh, <laughs> Deserve, no. Deservedly. I, I hope you covet that trophy and I still just have was, it. I was just polishing that trophy the other day. I moved it from one, no joke, I moved it from one shelf to a higher, a more visible position. And I was like, someday Alex is going to come to the studio and he's going to see this and I'm going to, then I'll have him. Yeah. Then I got him. Alex has a spot on his shelf that's empty. Where it was going to go. And it's a picture of me with a knife in my forehead. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I understand. I yes. Okay. So, all right. So Double Fine, um, Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Broken Age, many, many more. We were just talking about Costume Quest. Tim, I believe you are, an cha- you are a champion of indie game development. I believe that because I think you helped get Day of the Devs off the ground. Mm-hmm. But you can tell us about your involvement with that because it seems really awesome. This year, you were inducted into the game Hall of Fame. So like you're a mm. Hall of Famer. At Dice, where I got a trophy and COVID. A dual trophy. It was a two Probably was coating the outside of the trophy. Was <laughs> yeah, it like shot like a little vapor. Like when yeah, like, somebody, somebody licked that trophy. Because they don't want you doing stuff after your Lifetime Achievement Award. They would rather you just kick it, kick it right after you post like, the high point. Well, you showed them. Uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Thank Great you, to see you. Thank you for, you. Thank you for being here. Welcome, to be here. How are you? I'm great. I try to do research 
and I know I know you a bit, but I did a bunch of Googling, <laughs> and here's what I learned. Okay, okay, I'm sad about this. You got into games because <laughs> of the... I'm a brew chef in Michigan, right? <laughs> oh, well, actually, you are, or a version of you, I think, is yeah, on one of those watch lists. Too. Oh, Jesus, really? Yeah, football star and, a, and on a watch, one of those watch lists. But I, those are alternate. Oh. I gotta look this up. I'm gonna be on a plane soon. Is this uh, gonna be a problem? (laughs) No fly. What do you mean, like sexiest man alive? Watch list. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. Yes, that's that's the list we made. Um, The Magnavox Odyssey. Mm, Yay! I still have one in the office. Not the original. Was this your? You wait. Did you say you have one at the office? Yeah, I rebought it. Like hooked up. My parents chucked the old. Okay. Well, so my first exposure to games was Atari 2600. My dad brought home a, a with the Sears Telegames, which was the mm-hmm. sort of the knockoff version because my dad was very frugal. You have one there too, huh? You have a Sears yeah. Telegames? Yeah, my original is an Atari, and I have that at the office, and then to play at home. I got During COVID, I got really deep into retro games and Atari games, and so I got this <laughs> Telegames Heavy Sixer over here. That's awesome. As a kid, though, I was a big snob. I was like, Ugh. That's just not a real Atari. What was your very first console? Like very first the Odyssey, video game. like you said, the Magnavox Odyssey, which was the very first uh, console ever. And I didn't realize this. I always thought that it had a version of Pong. Like, this is great. It has a version of Pong in it, but this is where Pong was copying the Magnavox. I didn't, okay. you know, someone's going to correct me on this. I might really? be totally wrong. Let's but see. that uh, Max Barrett at, uh, at Magnavox made the Odyssey, and he had this a game on it. And then Atari was like, well, let's put that in a bar and made Pong. If I if I have that wrong, I apologize to uh, Nolan Bushnell and everybody. But I believe that was the order, and I only learned that like last year. <laughs> I thought it was the other way around. Sounds legit. I was looking at the game list on the Odyssey, and I don't know if it was similar to the Atari, where there was like there were a lot of different games. There was like the you know the war games. There were sports games, <laughs> but they all had very like there was parachute, whatever. Similar mechanics, very limited. Yeah, I mean palette of mechanics and the graphics were all the same. They might be thinking of the Odyssey <laughs> 2, which is a real console that has actual graphics on it. The Odyssey 1 was really cool at the time, but it was just basically Pong paddles in a ball for every game. And there'd be different rules, like maybe the Pong paddle uh, would bounce back and forth, or maybe it was treated like a missile and it would blow up one of the Pong paddles. But they all had the same graphics, and then the actual graphics for the game were these little acetate sheets that you'd lay on top of your monitor, and your CRT monitor. And, I remember and the that. static yeah. cling, like if you remember feeling the screens of old TVs when you turned them on, it would be this powerful like, ooh, static magnetism kind of feeling. And it would just cling, the acetate would cling to the screen. And then you would have um, a tennis court for the simplest one. But they had ones like a haunted house and you'd move the ping pong paddles in the windows of the haunted house to represent ghosts. And there was a, there was a submarine hunt one where the submarine had to move along a maze while the battleship, which was a different, it was a picture of a battleship. And then you move the ping pong battle over the pitcher, like to symbolize that's what it was. And the and the ball would come flying at you like pong, and you'd hit it, and it would try and hit the other submarine, which was moving along this maze, but only on the honor system. It was just a piece of graphics in your CRT screen. It wasn't con- you weren't constrained to the maze at all, but you're just supposed to follow it while this ball was flying at you. Anyway, really primitive, and the cartridges weren't even cartridges; they were just um, switches, kind of like a. PCB printed uh, logic because there was a, there, the, the 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 pong and all the logic was on the on the Odyssey console itself, and then these things you'd slide in these cards would just turn on and off switches that would make it behave differently. That's it. That's cool. So old. I loved. It. I was obsessed with it. I was like, Dad, get more of these cartridges. Get more of these. Oh my god! And he's like, No, I'm thinking about getting one of these video computer systems. And I was like, well, What's that? And then that's where I catch up with you with the Atari. 
<laughs> right. Wow. Did, did you say you said Telestar earlier, right? Uh, tele Telegames is the Sears oh, rebranding of Atari stuff. Yeah. Okay, because I yeah. had the Coleco Telestar, the Pong. Ooh, what was that like? Out. I never had that. It was just like it had two Pong games, or two or three. Is that before? That's before ColecoVision, right? So that's uh. Maybe yeah. I remember my dad brought it home, and it was just paddle game and paddle against the wall. Mm-hmm. And then, was in um, television Coleco, or was that are those television? Two it's its own thing. Which is the one that you would put the little acetate, or was it acetate? It was like these little plastic. You, the controller had like a million things on it, and then you the games would come with these little cards that you would slide in. There are a few, but the uh, was, uh, the um, in television, I think it was the first one. I had like a little dial on the top and then a keypad and then you'd slide in these little membranes and if you played a game like utopia which was a really fun don dagwell game you could slide in these things and have all these all these options like a computer game like oh i could press this for fishing i could press this for that and do anyway i thought it was i never had one i never had one i bought one at a garage sales my cousins had one in mexico yeah and it's like what is this thing (laughs) and all these things have have super i mean not the odyssey i don't think but the all the other things have really lively homebrew things going on right now there's people making new in television games new atari games maybe new odyssey games definitely new odyssey 2 games mcdonald's made a game boy color game for grimace I just saw that too. That's that deep. That's deep. I remember um, Ed Freeze. I, I I don't know if Tim, if you know Ed, but he. Oh, I remember Ed Freeze. <laughs> yeah, so he he did a twenty six hundred cart of Halo. Yeah, I, I um, I I I can show you. you put it on video. Yeah, I have it right there. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay, you don't believe me? All right, hold on. Are you got, you got to be kidding me? We're like what ten for ten? What? Oh <laughs> so yes! Good. All right, what else? What else? Hold on, yeah, yeah, something else. I got tons of. Uh, I'm really into Atari. Randos. harm homebrew stuff. Yeah, and Vectrex. That's my. I don't know if he well. got an got an official license for that. I'm gonna. I don't know. They him. recently took it off the <laughs> store at Atari Age. They're like, we're done with license stuff. It's too much of a pain. And I assumed he got permission, but it maybe it was just like he's so high up there. He was so high up. He's like, oh, hey. Bill Gates, I'm doing this. Okay. He gave himself permission. But that inspired me, and I learned 2600 code, and I was make, I've been making during COVID my own little homebrew games on the Atari. It's really fun. Oh, really? Because I don't really get to program Ooh, in my job. Any you want to shout out? No, it's all secret. No one can know. But I enjoy making them. When I finish them, when I'll finish, I'll That's shout a lot. That's 6502. 6502, okay. which right. I learned. 6502 assembler. Yeah, I learned that when I was in like eighth grade for my Atari 800, Atari 400, and, and then the 800. And I was trying to make games on that. I was very bad at it. But so, yeah, that's actually I would I didn't really know that. I mean, you 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 kind of started as a programmer, right? Did you, you like went mm-hmm. to Berkeley to get a computer science degree? That's Did you right. get a computer science yeah, degree? Yes, degree. Yeah, as I tell my programmers wow. every day. Listen, you guys. I know. I know. I know just enough about computer programming to make your life a living hell. Because because I have these really simple solutions to everything that worked when games were like 8K. And like, hey, you should. Yeah. Our joke is always that the designers would always ask the uh, programmers, why don't you use an if-then statement? Like something from BASIC or something like that. Like in terms of music, yeah. you should, uh, it wouldn't scale. But uh, I still look. So it's fun to be able to do things by yourself. Like I love collaborating with the team at work, but you do that for years and years and years. And like you st- just start to fantasize about doing things like writing a book or making your own homebrew mm-hmm. game. Because it's like, what if I had, I got to make things and never had to tell anybody about them? Or like just, uh, you know, when you're collaborating, you're always kind of telling the why. You're, you have a creative idea and you're like, oh, I better think of a reason. Yeah. Okay. So you can explain it to the team, you know, make it sound logical. Yeah. We've talked about this a few times because yeah. for for me that's woodworking. That's my mm-hmm. garage. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'll go in there and I build something, anything I want. I, I don't have to collaborate with anybody. I don't have to like justify anything. A few other folks that we've talked to have 
had related similar things or it was like doing a creative solitary creative thing is different yeah they're both important i think they're both important to do for your brain your brain health yeah because with working with other people it's challenging it can be irritating but if you do it well you get the best of everyone's ideas you get all the you know mm-hmm. the best ideas that whole group has refined his health so. yeah yeah i think a lot about my old boss george <laughs> you know george lucas because he um had to collaborate with so many people when he made Star Wars and American Graffiti. Like he had these different editors, and he probably had. A, he always said, "If you get forty five percent of what you want, you're doing pretty good." And then later in his career, he was ultimately powerful. He had all the money, and he made you know like Episode One. And I'm not trying to jump on Episode One, but like I think it shows sometimes when you get everything, you can do everything the way you want it. It doesn't necessarily mean like ah, finally I can make the perfect thing because sometimes the secret to what you made before was in that struggle with other people. Yeah, dude, I really like them. I watched them again recently. Mm-hmm. After like the last, yeah, and <laughs> I really, hey, like, hey, I yeah, really he's making point there. Okay, you're totally undermining my point. I'm super, I'm super happy that you uh, enjoyed those. Uh, movies. No, no, no. They cost a lot of money to make. I'm glad someone likes them. I'm sure they're fine. I always think that. I only saw them in the theater once, and I'm like, I bet if I watched them now, right, they'd like them with better, maybe. Try yeah. just try because I went through it because there's there's a guy that we worked Steve he wouldn't watch him he's mm-hmm. like I'm not watching this. he's Those never seen don't them? exist never not the even the first time are you are you start talking about Steve Abeta yeah he's like I've never seen them he's never watched the no. first I think you might have seen the first one you mean episode one are you talking about yes. Star Wars you talking Star about Star Wars episode one? one I think he would not at not episode four the original one what about episode he's, wait so he's seen four through six four. Yes. Has he seen uh, one, two, three, awaken uh, six, seven through eight, nine, seven through no, nine? I don't think so. Okay, so no. he just stick into the. Really? Original. Has he seen Rogue yeah. One? Huh. I think he's seen Rogue One. So he just waits. Rogue, Rogue One, One is my. Good. That's my favorite. He waits one. for the buzz and then he decides. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's so surprising because this dude's like a huge diehard Disney everything. Yeah. You know, it's we like, talk about Star huh, Wars all the time. You would never know. He doesn't want to pollute it. I've heard about Jar Jar, and I don't want to in my brain. I don't want that in there. Did George Lucas hang around LucasArts much? I mean, he was at the ranch, and we would see him at lunch when I was just working at the ranch for the first, like, half year that I was there. And I'd met him, like, three times. Always very nice. Always a very nice guy. But, um... Uh, yeah, but he was around, and there were a lot of like in the early days, like famous people around the ranch because they did Sky Sound. So like there'd be like Jack Nicholson was there, Robert Redford was walking through the lunchroom once, and his, he was glowing in the sunshine. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> famous people are better. <laughs> it's all those metachlorians. <laughs> yeah, he's a fairy. I measured him with that lady shake razor, and he had a lot of metachlorians. All right, well, so give him uh, a chance though. Give him a chance just to go back to it. Try it. Pray. Get some beer. I don't know if you drink beer or not. List. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then just sit down and go, we're going to try this. Yeah. You could be pitching anything right now, and I would just have the same roll my eyes reaction. You know? <laughs> really? Just give it a try. Have a beer and give it a try. I, I don't know. I, I, I <laughs> what is that? What else is he pitching you? Eating eggplant? Hey, give, give eggplant a try. Just have a beer. Exactly. He he put he like you know. Sometimes he pitches some conspiracy theory stuff. Oh gosh, you know? here we Ch- go. Chemtrails. Watch this video. Oh, Just give it a try. Drink a beer. <laughs> Look for the pattern in the sky. <laughs> And every time you see a chemtrail, just think, was I just thinking about the government just now? <laughs> yeah. You know, conspiracy theories used to be a lot more fun. That's all I'm going to say. Like, we, What do you mean? When I was a kid, like the, the conspiracy theory about the fake moon landing and that movie Capricorn 1. Did you ever see Capricorn 1? 
I think I have. Give it a yeah. try. Yeah, that's Take a drink, get a beer. Give it a try. <laughs> get a beer. <laughs> I, I love that movie because it was about the, the, the conspiracy is true and they faked the moon landing and some of the astronauts tried to get away because they were going to kill them and, and their car chases and this guy climbing a mountain. It's a, it's a really, I thought it was, I was pretty young when I saw it, but I thought it was fun. a fun movie and that old movie conspiracy theory with Mel Gibson and stuff was fun. And we had that whole conspiracy theory level in Psychonauts 1 where he was just like believed in all the conspiracies and everything. And then and then after YouTube and Flat Earthers started being really like, well, no, no, we were serious. And then QAnon. <laughs> I think QAnon is ruined it for like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. These guys are like going to shoot Pizzagate. Like they're going to shoot up a pizza parlor now. That's not funny. <laughs> have you seen the list of the ones that have come true? Oh, I'm sure they're like I mean, they're yeah, like, like, uh, like, like some, MKL Trump, so, MKL Trump was real, right? Yeah, it was real. It's a right? Bay of Pigs thing the, or something like something involving Cuba that was turned out to be true. Oh yeah, the there was the that's a false flag operation, and then there was also wait the, the Bay of Pigs um, didn't happen. No, not the, it wasn't the Bay. Of oh, Pigs. It, was it was the a, it was or the Bay or Vietnam. It was a Vietnam thing. It was something to get them into the war. Like I've they seen that created, list. Like, I've seen that list for that thing on it. Yeah, and then there is like a whole bunch of NASA stuff that is actually fake. Because it's so expensive. Like, there's like some pictures that they use. Like, okay. Are they claiming they're real? Is NASA claiming they're yeah, real? Yeah, because it's, yeah, NASA claims they're real, but it's, but Tim, it's just. Tim, Tim, you just, you gotta have a great little bit of green salt with Aaron. Because he, he, he will go down these rabbit holes. Why would NASA fake? Why is it in their interest to yeah. fake anything? Just, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. No, it's just for marketing. It's just for marketing. <laughs> They colorize stuff and they say underneath, like, we colored these right now. <laughs> yeah, right. That's where all that starts. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we totally went off on a way yeah. left, left Yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah. You know, some television. people give up little uh, yellow flags. They're like, don't go. Don't walk on this thin ice because I will. <laughs> I will start talking about conspiracy theories in a way that makes you excuse okay. yourself. Yellow, <laughs> yellow, yellow flag, Aaron. <laughs> all, right. all right. So was Full Throttle your first, like, which was the one where it's like, hey, this is my, this is, I'm in charge. That was now. the first one where I solo led it. Like a day of the tentacle, I led with Dave Grossman, co leads, which was fun. I love that fun. That's what one of the times we met George Lucas as he came on tour and he saw all our storyboards. And it was the first time we'd ever storyboarded every scene from the game. Like in the old Monkey Island, it would be like the artist would be like Ron would tell Steve Purcell to draw something and he would draw something and be like, wire it up. Okay. Like we never really knew like how many of these there were. Or like, <laughs> we'll just keep working and we'll work all day and all night. And then the deadline comes and it's over. But then since the day of Tenko, we put all the storyboards on the wall. We're so proud of ourselves. And George Lucas walks in the room. We told him, like, yeah, look at all these storyboards. He goes, yeah, can't make a movie without a script. And then that was it. That's all he said. It was not impressed. I was like, well, it's not a movie. He was not impressed with our storyboards. Uh, do you still have those? I've I got, I got some version of them in a binder somewhere. Yeah. They're all like. What's your favorite one? What? Of games of or storyboards? That you've made. That you've made. Like where you're like, That's this a, one is. I don't know. All the games. I mean, they're all, they're all great. I love them all. They're all, they're all, they're really different. Like Full Throttle is when I was really getting into screenplay writing. And, and uh, I think it has a lot of like the screen uh, play classes in it. Like in all the, the, the love of that kind of um, storytelling. And Grimm is like, had so many great artists and like musicians and actors came together to make this amazing thing it's um but psychonauts has this life to it that all these beloved characters i'm not gonna pick a favorite brutal legend is really personal because of heavy metal and all my childhood heavy metal heroes coming to be in it and uh i don't know who who, who can pick which is your favorite that's right yeah that's like which is your favorite you kid Aaron? oh yeah which is your favorite kid aaron aaron has 50 children so it's hard it's hard yeah. for him to decide <laughs> um, grow them in lab <laughs> but oh my so full throttle came out like how long ago was full throttle 95. that was like in 
95. So many, it's like, you know, a little while ago. And I'm an old person with not the best memory. But I have a very, very vivid memory of playing full throttle and doing, I can't remember which, it must be towards the end of the game where you do this jump over a chasm or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it must, it must have been hard enough that I failed it the first time I did it. And the dude breaks the fourth wall and it's like, so, oh, that, that's not that, what that really didn't happened, work out yeah. the way it went. Yeah, and then and then you do it again, and it, and it was the first time a game felt like a like an entertainment experience, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like like you would get in like you know like seeing a film. <clears throat> like it surprised me. Awesome. Um, and we were going big with that one. We were going really big. We we're like we wanted something to feel like Spielberg, like The Abyss, hanging off a cliff. It was to be big. No, I know Spielberg didn't do The Abyss. I'm just naming. Epic, <laughs> epic. That's a good movie. Epic too. movies of the time, Cameron, all that. But but yeah. you know, like that that ending, we're like, oh, I can't believe how ridiculous this thing is. You know, the cargo jet's going off the edge of a cliff, and a truck comes out of the cargo jet, and then the guy flies out the windshield. The cargo, anyway. We did go big. We went inter- we went for entertainment. I loved it, and it was on a Mac. I played it on a Mac. I know. I would see that. Oh, this this is all connecting together. I see that Mac behind you. People can't see that, but there's a Mac lurking over your shoulder. Oh right? yeah. And I, for years, after starting Double Fine, like 2000, uh, you know, it came out in 95. And then I remember walking to work and, and going by this Mac, this Apple store on the way to to Double Fine, like in 2001. And I would see this copy of Full Throttle in the window. And I was like, well, people don't make enough games for the Mac. That's really, really <laughs> playing this one. So is that the plus or is that the one? After, I had a Mac, we had Mac pluses on our desk when we were working on Monkey Island because we had, you can't, we didn't know, like, email on the PC was so primitive. We're like, oh, we don't want to do it, read our email on the PC. We want to read it on this beautiful little Macintosh over here. Um, and I had a, pl- I had a plus, the one with the slats on the top, right? The, the air vent? Yes. Cause, and, yes. And it, so this is, that's, is that what you have? No, this is, it's a 512. Okay. Which came before the plus. So I think it was, it was a it was a original 128 that got upgraded. So it's got it's one of the ones that's got little signatures in, inside up. the. He's box. talking about like it's a Camaro. He's got like it's all <laughs> shiny. Exactly. What are you, what yeah. are you using and, now? What's your choice? I, well, you me, on the, on the, the last thing I'll say about that is we're sitting there. We're on Dave's tentacle, I think, and I smelled bacon in my office. I was like, what's going on? And then I see a little bit of smoke coming out of those vents on that Mac Plus. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit, no. this Mac's on fire! <laughs> and I had to grab it and unplugged it, and I carried it out to the parking lot where it just like burst into flames <laughs> it mostly just smoked Whoa. it mostly just smoked and cooked and gave off a delicious bacon no that ever happened to you that's funny i think it's before uh, the days no, of fans they didn't put fans in those things back then that's right well they don't put fans in a lot of stuff because they're you know whatever don't like the sound but um interesting that a burning mac plus smells like bacon i didn't know that they probably flavorize it just so you pay attention <laughs> what do you that's use it. now for all my, by the way, I have a PC now. I'm a PC person now. P- I don't know PC. why I switched, but I just I had Macs for years and then. Oh, because because you because uh, you got bought by yeah, that's, Microsoft. That's what it was. They came through and they confiscated all the Apple products. <laughs> I have to use a, a Zoom now for all my phone calls. I've been there. No, I think they just finally made. I think something came out that made uh, email tolerable on the PC. Maybe it was Windows or something. But uh, and then they were like, "Nope, we can't have two Windows computers. 98. Can't have two computers." When we first started, we had a PC, and then we had a before the Mac. We had an ADM3A terminal for the Unix mainframe that was in like the closet at LucasArts. Like they early their early development was on uh, Unix machines, straight up Unix machines. Wow. Same, as, like, same as Berkeley had, uh, and so you could sit there on your. You know, have you ever seen the ADM3A monitor? It's like the cool old, like you're in an old sci-fi movie, kind of one form with a keyboard and a monitor all in one thing. And um, clacky mechanical keyboard. Probably a super hipster thing to have now, but it was looked really cheap yes. and old-fashioned at the time. And uh, <laughs> But we're in that, we're in that uh, Unix. Did you ever work in Unix? Did you do that in school? 
for for a hot minute. Like you can access each other's terminals and like make dirty words appear on each other's terminal while they're working and stuff like that. You can just anyway, a lot of (laughs) silly Unix pranks going on. All right. Well, so you got a CS degree and you end up at LucasArts. Mm-hmm. And were you doing coding at Lucas? You were scripting, scripting. I'm in, in the you know I, knew, I I went I came out of college knowing C and like Lisp and things that they taught us back in those days. Uh, all AI was done in Lisp. And then um and then I started I learned Scrum at LucasArts and I forgot all of my other programming except for 6502 which I still use. But so we'd go um in the when we first started they didn't know what to do with us because they weren't ready so they just made us test we like tested. Indiana Jones, the, the the action game and stuff like that, uh-huh. and then um, we we would just learn. It went to Scum University, where Ron Gilbert would come teach us. Okay, everybody, we're gonna learn how to wire up a room. We could wire up a room, then he'd leave and come back in the afternoon to see what we'd done. And Steve Purcell drew some um, Sam and Max art for us. So we had Sam and Max's office, and we were like making those all. It was years before the Sam and Max game. And we were making the TV have static on it. And they're like, now we all add a character. This is how you control a character. And you would teach us. And then the day that, so it was really fun. Cause we started then downgrading, uh, like, like breaking into old indie games and taking the art from them. And then we'd add uh, headquarters of uh, Nazi headquarters to our Sandmax office. And we were like, anyway, just, just seeing what we could do um, in scum. And then Dave and I tended to be the one that put the most jokes in our, um, in our scum you demos, you know, and, uh, and so Ron was like, "You two, come work on this crazy new idea I have called Mutiny on Monkey Island, which is the old the old title of that game." Here's what I'm imagining in my head. I don't know if this is right, but like so, early days, probably not too many professional writers in our fledgling industry. You're writing code, scripting on this on the Monkey Island game, and you start writing dialogue. Mm-hmm. You start writing stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was in the job description. That's why, because I had, in college, I, I kind of was like, I'm going to get out of computer science. I'm going to write short stories like Kurt Vonnegut. I want to be a writer that by the That's end cool. of it. And I went to the, but I, I thought I would get it. There's our Chicago connection. Oh, yeah. Kurt Vonnegut came from Because when he, I think it was Chicago. when he worked there, he he wrote short stories, but he worked at like um, GE or something like that, like an engineer, as an engineer in the, during the day. And then he wrote short stories at night. And he told a story about getting a check for $300 because the Saturday Evening Post published one of his stories or something. And I was like, $300? I want $300. I'm, <laughs> so I'm going to get a, a database programming job and write uh, short stories for $300 a pop. And Because uh, all the jobs that you hear about a lot, I wasn't very imaginative as far as my career went. I was like, okay, another program. All the job listings I see are for database programmers. I don't know why that was the hot thing. So I did some of those internships uh, working on database programming and then I saw this job listing for the we now we want uh, programmers who can write dialogue, and I was like, "What? That's crazy! <laughs> That's like a unicorn." <laughs> yeah. So came LucasArts, and we were writing dialogue for our Scum U stuff, and then we started writing it for Monkey Island. We we're just wiring stuff up and writing the silliest stuff we could think of. Dave and I were just trying to make each other laugh and just goofing around because I was like, eventually they'll bring in a real writer to come in like put the real lore in here like oh pirates in the 1600s would use this word and not this word and like make it all you know fancy and stuff like that and then ron's like no 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 this is the dialogue this is the dialogue in the game i'm like what this is, <laughs> this, because we were just writing our own voices and characters were like yeah. had a lot of sarcasm and stuff and and i didn't realize and i think that's what helped us write uh funny stuff in the beginning because like we we didn't think it was final dialogue, so we just kind of cut loose with all the jokes <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And I think that was really that was really helpful. I think if people who are in a position of writing and they just start thinking about the final product and the audience too much, they'll just shut down and be like, okay, I'm going to make the most conservative yeah. 
thing I can. And like learning to turn that off and just go completely nuts and write something ridiculous, I think is right for really the helpful. trash can. Right for the trash can. Yeah, I uh, like. Um, I I was writing the villager dialogue and I was like, uh, I wanted to get the villagers to turn around. So I was like, look behind you, a three headed monkey. As a total, just a joke. Like this is so stupid. And and then Ron came up in the afternoon like he always did to check out what we had done and we'd we'd watch him to see if he was laughing or not. And he laughed at the behind you, a three headed monkey. And I was like, I'm gonna make that something better. I'm gonna make that was just a dumb thing I just wrote. And he goes, No, that's in. That's it. That's in the game. And I was like, What? <laughs> was like, yeah, we're gonna have Steeper Cell draw a three headed monkey. He's gonna walk in there as a final joke. So he kind of like put that punchline on the end of it and. And that's that was a big lesson for me to learn. Like, yeah, when you're when you're uninhibited, like you can write. You, to, to be uninhibited while you're writing a final product is really like the challenge and the like, mental state you have to put yourself into. That's super cool. Because what are you really afraid of? What are you really you're just afraid of someone's gonna like laugh at your stuff in the wrong way or something? Like you might as well just yeah. go do, for it. Put it out do there. you worry like today though that like if you're not careful, you could you could kind of say the wrong thing. Well, <laughs> you know, get canceled. Like, talk about like, spinning swastikas and stuff like that. <laughs> Chemtrails. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. I, 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 people talk about that like you have to worry too much these days, but I don't think so. I mean, you always worry about if you're making art, right? Which I think we're making. You wanna, you wanna think about how your impact on the person viewing it or whatever. So if you're making a scary game, you're like, I want to fucking scare people, and the people are laughing. You're like, oh, I had the wrong effect on them. That's not the effect I wanted, right? So if you're running a comedy game and you're hurting people because you're like making them feel bad about who they are by saying something insensitive to, you know, you're using the R word or something. Like you made something that really hurts people. Like that's not the intention either. Like I wasn't trying to write something hurtful. So you do think about that kind of stuff. I think a lot of stuff that people ascribe to like being PC and stuff is just considering other people's feelings and considering more people's feelings than we used to in the old days. In the old days, we just consider feelings of like me and people I know. But more and more, you're like, oh, there are other people that exist in the world and we should also think about our impact on them. And, but I think, and the challenge is to like think about that stuff, think about writing stuff that doesn't like uh, demean someone or, or disenfranchise them, but also be, you know, funny and weird and crazy and, and silly at the same time. I think that's totally possible to do. You just have to like, you know, accept that mission. You know. To that point, have you ever seen uh, Troll Two? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying. I was like, sorry, was I'm segment. not trying. <laughs> that's that great point, Tim. You know, you know, you know what that makes me think of. Have you ever seen Critters Five? <laughs> yeah, Critters Five is also a classic. Or all the Critters. Is Troll Two, right? which is the one that's that's <laughs> beloved as the worst movie of all time? Is it Troll Troll One? Two. Troll, Troll two, two is the Troll one that's two. famous yeah. for. Troll it. One is actually scary. Troll Two is like. Which one is Jennifer Aniston in? Or no, that's Goblin. No, that's the Leprechaun. Yeah. Leprechaun. Yeah. Leprechaun. Who's in? Which Troll? is also really who's in good. Troll? I feel like you're gonna say that about any movie I say. Have you? <laughs> Have you seen tre- I'm not trying. To, it's like you can put the shields down, Tim. I'm not trying. I'm not trying. <laughs> we're riffing, bro. We're riffing. I to uh, uh, come up in your head just then because you were saying um, it's. I don't think you're wrong. I think you're right. I think everything you said, you're right. But the the case of they were trying to make a scary movie and it ended up it ended up being funny and it ended up being a good thing. Kind of goes back to like your 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 writing. Like you were just like, yeah, we're just goofing around. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and then it ended up being pure gold that like kind of defined a franchise. Yeah. You know? I mean, I wonder. I've never seen Troll Two. I probably should watch Troll Two, but I I've, I've seen it. Oh. I've seen the interview with them, grab like, a beer. With a, grab, grab a beer. It's a big plant and watch it on a yeah. moon landing set. But I like did they. <laughs> Were they just like, let's just have fun and make it silly? Or were they like, no. It was like, like when you watch the interview with Tommy Wiseau, how do you say his last name? About The Room. You know the movie The Room? 
It's like that actually. And, and, the, and people like love the room and they laugh at it, right? But then Tommy's right. now now in this position of, hmm, I'm actually making money off this movie now. But I was yeah. serious as hell when I made it. But, exactly. but he kind of pretends that he was in on the joke, like, ah, ha, ha. Yeah. yes, you left my <laughs> wax satirical comedy, The Room, <laughs> which I was totally serious about. Yeah. But it's yeah. troll like that, where they're like, no, we knew we were we were just having fun. We just because no, like, they got. Yeah, it's it's serious. It was they got some directors from Italy, I think, and then there's a documentary about it called "The Best Worst Movie of All Time" because mm-hmm. there's a whole cult following now. And the director actually, you could tell that they're hurt because they they mm. they were being serious, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, but then now there's this huge following, and they don't know. Like it's a very yeah. yeah I would I don't know how I would feel about that if I made yeah. something and they totally they rejected my intentions completely. But love something that was an accident, I'd be like, "Oh fuck, I quit." But that's what that's what Mo- Monkey Island is, right? <laughs> Send in money here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Monkey Island yeah, is I'm in a way, right? It. Like you were just messing around and like having I was a good time. messing around, and I think Ron knew what he was doing and had a plan for it. And then once we got in line with that plan, we were definitely made the game we and it was liked for the reasons we I think we intended it to be in the end. Right? Okay. Yeah. 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 It didn't end up being yeah. a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what you were describing about oh when you start you're just writing for yourself and and the other people in the room and and you didn't say these words exactly but like as you mature you realize there's other people in the world that sounds so common sense mm. and yet <laughs> so many people don't behave that way I don't know why mm-hmm. but I think that I my sense is that's a lot of why all of your stuff feels like it has some common thread to it and is so universally liked because it has everything has heart to it and feels genuine soul yeah oh i mean i think it was all made with good intentions so if even if we did mess up and do something wrong i feel like it doesn't come across as uh hurtful or hateful or i don't know i i always felt that way about brutal legend because it was a very violent movie game there's tons of decapitations in it and stuff like that but it's it still doesn't really strike people as very harsh you know it's not it's not like you're like wincing at it because it just it's done with uh, a lot of humor and stuff and um so i think i think there just is an intention of like of humanism i think maybe somewhere i like people i'm not trying to hurt people even if we're chopping their heads off i'm not trying to hurt them you can turn off the decapitations because we're like right as we were making it i got this letter from a dad like a physical letter it was like i really love playing psychonauts with my 10 year old son we had so much fun and i was like thinking about this new game we're making i was like oh god it's totally M-rated. How's this guy going to play with his 10-year-old? I should have thought through that. Well, this kid's going to be 15 by the time it comes out, so it's fine. Yes, But still, exactly. still, I put we put in a profanity <laughs> filter and a gore filter, so you can turn it off if you want to. Just because I think that's... I think I actually bleeped dialogue is funnier. Like when Jack Black goes into his long rant at the beginning and he just swears every word he can think of, a dirty word he can... But it's all bleeped out. I think it's actually funnier. Because you just imagine it even worse than it is. Have you ever thought of doing like a profanity gore filter, but then just rendering a gray screen for the entire game? Just so the blood's gray? <laughs> <laughs> no, just like the whole thing. Oh, like, well, so like, oh, there's cool. nothing. With no sound. Just yeah, there's just, yeah, there's just nothing. Yeah. Like, oh, that's what happens. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, speaking of psychonauts, you just reminded me of something. And this is going into that conspiracy realm. I'm sorry. Okay. No yellow flags. No yellow flags. Whenever you were doing, uh, I'm sure y'all did like research, like a little bit of like R&D and stuff. Mm -hmm. Did y'all ever run into the, there's like this, this group of people that are trying to map this, like, they're called the actual psychonauts, I think. They take DMT or something and they, they like, they're trying to map this like consciousness world. 
is it like do they have a shared hallucination where they go to a shared that yeah. they say is another dimension via psychedelic yeah. drugs? And they meet these like no DMT. Yeah, it's like totally playing with fire. <laughs> it's like the beginning of every horror movie. But like, I, I think, was like, are you asking you know, Tim if he's dropped if he dropped acid? Wait, DMT? Oh, oh, oh. No, it's the, they're not doing. I did do a little bit of acid before this interview just to <laughs> just to <laughs> but, spice it up. But I was like, man, like did y'all? But I mean, like hear if you, I mean, the, no, I didn't hear about that. But if you're like, it seemed very really suggestible. It seemed like if you're talking about this world a lot. And then you take a psychedelic. The odds you are you will go to the shared world that you just all discussed so much. You know what I mean? But not to denigrate there. I have no proof that there is no other psychedelic world. But the odds of getting to a, um, a specific other dimension by taking psilocybin. DMT. It's the – yeah, psilocybin. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, we'll find out. We'll find out because a lot of those places are more and more legal every, with every day. I think right? it's a bad idea. A lot of more psychonauts every day exploring that space. But that's not what it, we do. It, there's actually – there's a place in L.A. that opened up that offers psych, like a, it's like psychedelic therapy, mm-hmm. but it's without – Oh, it's with mushrooms. Oh, the sound. Sound and darkness. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, it's like an isolation like altered states. Tank. You can yeah. see altered states. Have you seen that movie? The William Hurt movie? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, get a beer. Check it out. It's good, pretty good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie about uh, sensory, de- uh, sensory deprivation tanks, right, when they first came yes, out. Yes, that's what they're and called. And he goes right? in to yeah. access his, his, his like, primitive brain, and he meets, like, a caveman or he becomes a caveman. And I, I, there's some pretty tricky stuff in there that I actually believe in, which is that I'm like, you know how we have things like our appendix and other organs in our body that people really don't know what they're for, but they just they're an evolutionary, like, dead end that, like, our body's made and then abandoned. And it's like, and we have old parts to our brain, like lizard brain and stuff like that. that are like parts of our brain that have been in like other simpler branches on the evolutionary tree. So like those parts of our brain generate thoughts. So when we're dreaming at night, some of these characters and, and things that show up in our brains are coming from like really old parts of our brain. Gonna get weird. It's getting weird. But that's kind of what that movie is about. Like there's parts of your brain that are very primitive. Like sometimes people say you're scared of spiders because there was a time when we were smaller than spiders. <laughs> that's just a theory. Like it's a theory. Like we're remembering a time when spiders loomed over us really big. I think it's because they a lot of them are poisonous, and that's why we're scared of them. But um, that's what, yeah. Uh, but just the, the thought that we have like these ancient part of our brains that can generate actual thoughts. Then your consciousness is always trying to work in thoughts that it has. Is like oh, you want to do that. Like when someone's under hypnosis and and the hypnotist tells them to like cluck like a chicken. And they interview the person later. They're like, no, no, no. I just got this urge. I just, I love, it was a beautiful day. And I felt like chucking, clucking. Like a you believe like, in hypnotism? You, you, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what people have said in interviews that they, they never, okay. they never say, they always kind of, whenever your brain does something funny, uh, like you have a weird emotion brought on by uh, some sort of chemicals or something, you always kind of mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance. That's the term. You work it into, you, you make a rationalization for why you're having that. You're like, oh, that's just because yeah. I was upset about my uh, my mother who looked like a chicken. I don't know. You, your brain tries to make this. Yeah, yeah, so anyway, yeah. I'm, all back to this primitive <laughs> part of your brain with the caveman dreams. Like if you were having a dream that came from your primitive mind, your brain would try to put this wrap around it that, that it makes sense that you're having this dream. Put a face to it, yeah. I just saw something about that where there's every culture, even cultures that have been isolated by like – they're like landlocked or like ocean – surrounded by an ocean or something, a water, body of water. All of them have developed imagery for dragons. Hmm. So like every culture and they, and they don't know why and there's people trying to figure out why that's the case, you know? Just and of course, there's some, going. There's some <laughs> 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 existed. 
Come on. Dragons came from the moon and they don't want us to find their secret base and so they faked the moon landing. I didn't say that. No, 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 no. You profiled me. You think I'm going to say that. I mean, it's so hard to believe that. I thought you were going to say that. I mean, if you dug up... If you dug up a dinosaur head and you found that, what would you what would you think that came from? A dragon. You'd make up a dragon. If you found a T-Rex head yeah. in the dirt. That's one like, of the oh, theories. Man, they used to be dragons. It's one of the theories. The other one is that it, dragons kind of encompass a lot of things that uh, humans are afraid of. Mm. Reptiles. So they think that like, yeah, fire. giant reptiles, mm. fire, fire. Yeah, flying creatures Bats. that can like, yeah. So yeah. they like think that they kind of, you naturally end up there. Like People who hoard creative, gold. Creative process. <laughs> People who eat princesses. <laughs> yeah. A lot of are afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. We've gotten into some heavy, heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I went off on that whole caveman brain thing. Yeah. Just... Let's say, let's segue back. Um, would you say that you are a master of the adventure game genre? Hey. Who, who would call themselves a master? I'm definitely, master. definitely familiar with that genre. I've definitely been in there for a lot of my career. I wanted to ask you how do you how do you make an adventure game? <laughs> oh gosh, well you know this uh, well I mean I I have been involved in a lot of them and it wasn't even what I was studying for like I was more interested in AI and stuff and systemic stuff when I was in college I was really interested like, huh. in to make systems. Is that why you, you took a class on on Lisp? Yeah, yeah, like I I think I, I got a C in that class. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one where you write code like inside out? Yeah, inside bracket like everything's a nested inside brackets a bracket yeah, like a parenthesis yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And I wrote like a connect four AI or something once. So uh, if you have any questions about Lisp, I'm the expert. I'm a master of Lisp. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean adventure games for me are just uh, I I love I think I think I always think about worlds first, like the world of the land of the dead or the world of like Braun would say like. He was riding the Pirates of the Caribbean, and he wanted to jump off the ride and be in that world of ghost pirates and stuff. So, like, um, or the world does. Tom was telling me the story of like spending the summer up in Alaska with these, uh, hanging out at the biker bar and talking about all the antics the bikers got into. Like, so when you think about this world with this set of rules and stuff, I just like, oh, I want to go there. Like, video games are a great way to go to some world like that you can't go to, especially a world like pirates that comes with all its set of rules. Like, you know, you know who the good guys and the bad guys and what the the risks are. You know. Um, and so I think about the world, and then I think about who would be a cool person to be in that world. You know, like, would you want to be the Grim Reaper or the leader of a biker gang? Like, who would have a lot of fun in that world, you know, a lot of powers? And then who would oppose them? I spent a lot – I really like thinking about villains' plans. Like, you know, watching Chinatown and just when the the bad guys – and John Houston's plan for, like, his water real estate scheme is kind of exposed. You're like, oh, man. Like that, that kind of explains so many of the weird things that happen in, in the game. So, like when you have the bad guys' plan and like how the 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 the, the protagonist is on a direct collision course with that plan, like oh wow, that just now just writes itself. But that's more about how to write a story, I guess. And then the you know fi- figuring out all the oppositions, all the little struggles that person might come along the way, I think are um, uh, the, meat, the meat and potatoes of designing puzzles. We always design them in rooms full of people, like like four people. We throw a bunch of candy on the table, and then we just all talk about the Simpsons until time's up, and then we have a game designed magically. <laughs> this was back in the <laughs> early '90s. The Simpsons knew, but we, we did talk about that a lot during the Monkey Island brainstorming. We were like, "Have you seen this new show, The Simpsons? It's really funny." <laughs> okay, world, hero, villain, and then puzzles, and then puzzles. and then puzzles. I mean, I like puzzles. Not everyone likes puzzles because adventure games were not for everybody. Because a lot of people just do not like being stuck. Like you play most games, like a physics-based game, it's something that's a skill. But I'm gonna blast my way through this. I can I can skill my way around it, or but like a puzzle, 
it's about like lateral thinking like the player is going to just the game's going to stop until you figure this out and that's a real challenging design space to be in because like how long do you want them you want them to be stuck there for so long that it feels really good when they solve it but not too long and so but you can have a lot of fun with it did you like muds were you into muds i never did i didn't uh i didn't ever do those i still don't i don't i don't play a lot of multiplayer games but like back in the there's a romance to it. like the idea even back on like it was a commodore you could call up these like you could you could participate in these. I was always interested in them, but I never really engaged with them. So I think because I'm scared of other people. Wait, it's mud only multiplayer. What's the one that's just text based adventures like? Text. Oh, I love like text what? adventures. I thought you were talking about multi user okay, multi user dungeons is what I thought you were talking about. Oh, okay, okay. No, that's then I got it wrong. All this right. is a text adventures is what I played. That's really what I played a lot of growing up in my computer days. After the Atari, I was playing on my Atari on my Atari eight hundred. I was playing like Zork. And Deadline mm, that's and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Did you ever finish Zork? Yeah, I did, and there were no walkthroughs. I mean, I don't know if I found. Yeah, you know, old BBSs. Really? You, I think you could find a walkthrough, maybe. But I, I um, because I, I, my dad got this computer before we got this Mac. He got a Deck Rainbow, which was <laughs> never. Yeah, heard it, of ran, that. it ran. Oh, yeah. yeah, digital equipment. It ran. Uh, it's Rainbow, whatever. I don't know. Some salesman talked to me. Is this the thing that looks like a sewing machine and then you lay it on its side and you flip down a little screen or the keyboard on it? No. No, it had a separate monitor, but but it but it it the only game it ran was Zork, <laughs> like those Infocom <laughs> games. Um, you bought a dedicated Zork piece of hardware. Pretty much. Um, I don't know what my dad did with it, but that's what I did with it. And then not too long ago, maybe like right after I got fired from EA, I fired up Zork and made a Miro board and just started remapping it. <laughs> And the same thing happened. I got like, I got to the same, like, I think I got to a puzzle, which I just got stuck on. Yeah. And didn't finish. I mean, those, those worked in the old days because like you had, you had one game sometimes this summer. Like you got this computer, you got one game yeah. and you had nothing to do all summer. There's no internet. There's, you know, you can either go swimming or outside. Ugh. And then you go, or you can work on this one game, you know, and, and you'd hit, what would happen is you'd hit a you'd hit a sumper and like you're let your and then your dad who's watching over your shoulder be like let me sit down like that's that's the multiplayer version of adventure games and you let someone else sit down you and your friend would switch seats you know and you'd go back and forth and one of you would get it through and if you absolutely got stuck you'd just go go to bed and then in the morning you'd wake up and be like oh my god I know what to do you know and you'd run down because the caveman dream yeah. you had a caveman dream yeah yeah yes, that's right piling. That's it's real, though. The dragon. That's or, real. Like, the uh, dragon uh, compiles puzzles. It does. It does. It works while you're asleep. But also, it works sometimes if you just change your mental state. Like, if you take a shower, go for a walk, or you somehow just break mm-hmm. your rut that you're in, you'll be like, I know what to do with that puzzle. Or you just boot up the game again, and you're like, I don't know what to do. And then you start, the first thing you type solves it. And you're like, wait, how did that happen? So right. that used to be how you'd play adventure games. And mm-hmm. it works when there's only one game in the world. But, like, if you can shut down your game, and you have 10,000 things in your Steam library, and your Game Pass, <laughs> and like, all these games you never really did finish Elden Ring you're like ah it'll be and then you just you'll leave it you'll never come back so uh, we try to think about that a lot in Psychonauts which is kind of had adventure game puzzles here and there scattered we're like we should give you a bunch of jumping and collecting to do while you're stuck on a puzzle like go just keep keep them in the game and then they'll come back when they know how to solve the puzzle. Smart. I guess I should delete everything off of my digital devices except for Zork if <laughs> and I just want play to actually Zork. power through I, and finish it. I got stuck on Zork. I think I did look up a hint somewhere because there's a there's a trick. There's this maze of twisty, windy passages all look alike. Yes. And the tip yeah. I read was like you take a bunch of dumb inventory items you don't need in there. 
and you just drop them in the rooms as you walk through and you can map it out by, like by going, oh, there's a screwdriver here. Like, oh, I'm in the screwdriver room. <laughs> but the thief comes oh. through and the thief, look how vis- vivid these memories are. I have no idea yeah. what I did yesterday. But, they're like core memories. Yeah. I'm like, oh, the thief, that yeah. stupid thief comes through and steals my screwdriver. <laughs> I'm going to kill that guy. You you mentioned writing potentially writing a book. You're like write a book, make the thing. Have you thought about making a text adventure? I I always think about writing a text adventure. Like I, I'm like I'm sure there's free engines online, and I could write one. And I'm like, what if I wrote just a five minute one for someone to play during lunch? I never do. I keep thinking of these things, but I also don't. I don't play a lot of text adventures now. I don't know if I would still be able to enter that zone where you're just reading text. Because I kind of hate reading text in games. So when I'm playing a game and I find a book yeah. in a chest and I open it and there's a text to read, I'm like, what? <laughs> Get rid of yeah, this like book. <laughs> you could do it on Twitter. You know, a text adventure. Mm-hmm. Just read a tweet. Yeah. You know. What do you mean you can do it on Twitter? You do do your text adventure on Twitter. So I would describe the room and then I'd wait for someone to tweet at me yeah. the, the response. <laughs> Yeah, and then read all the responses. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting AI to do. All it. right, you guys, you guys want to go? You guys want to open the mailbox? All right, it's, here's what's in there. Yeah. What are you playing now? I'm playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom, like a lot of people. I'm really taking my time with Zelda. Like I, I loved Breath of the Wild, and I'm just playing this one as slowly as I can. Just like, just like oh, I'm just wandering through. I'm not trying to get anywhere. <laughs> Zelda can wait. She's she's fine. <laughs> she's fine. I'm just gonna build a dumb raft, and I, I'm just constantly like trying to make these hot air balloons that catch fire midair and kill me, or like blow up and shoot into the sky, and I get burned to death. And, and I'm just, I love exploring the sky and the kingdom there. And I, was, I was playing a lot of Dredge, though. I took it, I, I, you play Dredge? I want to play that. I have it's it on my, it's I, on my wish list. It's one of those games that's kind of haunting. I keep thinking, I finished it, but I mean, I didn't finish my Fishopedia, but like I, I finished it, and I keep thinking about sailing around those worlds, and like, oh, I want to go back to that game. It had a, it had a cool sure. vibe. And my daughter played it. She's 15, and she loved it. And she's like, are there any other games like this that are like not scary like Five Nights at Freddy's, but like just spooky and creepy and full of dread? <laughs> like, I was like, and I was like, I don't really know. Like, I'm trying to think of games that are like just kind of eerie and dreadful and you know all that stuff, but not jump scares. Dave the Diver is good. I've never heard yeah, of that. What's that? Is it like oh, Subnautica like a, with a Dave in it? It's like you run a restaurant, a sushi restaurant. You help run, and like you fish. You go fishing, mm-hmm. and then you go back to your sushi restaurant and serve food. Wait, so what's like the creepy game. part? But that's not a creepy. Oh, there's game. no creepy. No, no, no. The fish, the fish <laughs> part that you mentioned <laughs> okay. earlier reminded me. Because oh, okay, yeah, there's yeah. a collectible <laughs> card game in the game, and the collectible card game is all the yeah. fish that you've caught. It's a good game. It's like pixel. That's art. closer to what I was saying than Troll Two, though. So you're getting closer. <laughs> that's a that's a game. Coming back. That's a game. <laughs> That's an actual game. So w- how are you playing? Uh, you, I'm assuming you played Dredge on the... Uh, playing my on, Xbox. On the Switch? On, on my the Xbox? Xbox, yeah. And what about the Switch? Do you play handheld? Or I know this no, is very personal. I, I, um, I, really, I realized this the other day. Like I was like, should I get a Steam Deck? Everyone's talking about these. And I was like, I don't really play handheld games anymore. And I think it's because I'm old and my eyes don't work. Like I seriously like, mm-hmm. I, like little screens are like ugh, little screens. Like I like I get <laughs> end up getting bigger and bigger TVs as I get older because it's just like in my phone. If you look at the text on my phone, people who see me on my phone go whoa. <laughs> <laughs> The text on my phone is so big. I think that's why I don't enjoy looking at little screens anymore. Like, I had it on the airplane recently. Like I'm kind of, I was playing Zelda, and I was like, I don't know. It doesn't feel... I'd rather just... The text is really small yeah. on, on handheld. Yeah, why did you ask about handhelds? I was just curious how you're playing it, because I, I never play my Switch on the screen anymore. What? I just play it handheld. You have those elf eyes. You can see anything. No. It, I, that's, <laughs> I have my glasses on like this, so I can see the top part is like what allows... <laughs> but yeah, same. 
We're like, sure like our parents were with rock and roll songs. Like, I don't understand the words on these movies <laughs> these days. Fucking uh, Dark Knight mumbled dialogue. Christopher Nolan. Well, he also cranks the music during... Like, two people will just be talking, and he's like... Yeah. <laughs> so true. It's, it's like one God. note. In case so people loud. don't know how to feel about this dialogue, I'm going to tell this fucking epic. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs to hear the words? You just need the feeling of the scene. So just crank the music to feel it. And words, they can look yeah. at subtitles. I don't know why any director would want people to look at subtitles because it looks ugly on the screen. Like it distracts it you from looking at it. So and you don't get to pick the font sometimes. Yeah, you don't ever like... in the theater get to pick the fonts. Oh, in the theater yeah. you do. Figure but it out, Christopher Nolan. And I also play a lot of old Atari and Vectrex games. So there you go. Still playing them. Wow. Are you playing with your kids? Uh, I do, you, do sometimes like, play with my kids, or I, it's it's like. There are Facebook groups where people are really into old Atari games, and they'll be like, this week we're trying to get high scores in Missile Command. And I'll be like, oh, oh fuck, yeah, I'm going to... Huh. And I will get into these weekly high score battles, and I'm always, like, 15th place or worse. But I oh, still... Cool. It's because when you have a collection of old video games, you never play them. Like, you never, you never like, you know what, today I'm going to play Moon yeah. Patrol and pull it off. Like, you never... I don't know what it is. You just can't... It's like pulling a book off your bookshelf. You would never randomly go, like, I'm going to reread Huck Finn. You just... <laughs> yeah. But you need these, like groups these like community groups to be like this week everybody we're all playing uh moon patrol play it by the way moon patrol is great on the atari so check it out are you playing a real it. console I, you know, emulator oh yeah playing Sorry. you're, the play, old you're playing emulator. actual i love original hardware this i love slamming in cartridges i just like the way they feel i even have an eight track player in the <laughs> garage because i love putting in eight track oh, snapping nice. in cartridges oh. they sound terrible they nice. warble and they, the songs are cut in half. <laughs> the songs will fade out when they need to switch tracks. Like, yeah, you're listening to a song, like, duh, 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 and like, oh no, my radio's broken. And then it, chick, chick, and it fades back up again. Like, wow, people used to put up with that. Songs fading out in the middle. I never had an eight track. I got one because there's a, a robot called 2XL. Did you ever see that toy when you were a kid? And it was, I was like, I'm going to help you with your homework. Why not? And you put in these, like, um, they were eight-track cartridges, and it'd be like, uh, "What is the capital of the, the Nigeria?" And then is it A? But up, and you'd switch tracks on a, essentially an eight-track. You'd push his buttons, and you'd go. And the one track would be like, "You're wrong. That's the wrong answer." And then if you pick the right track, it'd be like, "You're right." So you like, you picked one, and was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." You you keep pressing them all until you find the way. The one that was like, "You got it right." Anyway, that's the whole reason I bought an eight-track player when I was a kid, and now I just want to. I don't. I don't know why I'm collecting them. COVID did weird things to a lot of us. We just had too much time in our hands, and we're like, you know what? I wonder if my favorite toy from when I was a kid is on eBay. Oh, my God, it is. Yeah, I just went in the garage, cut wood. That was my COVID. That's probably better. What's your, what kind of thing are you into making? Tables? And- I make furniture, and the, th- the thing I taught myself over the last few years is this Japanese like art. Joinery? Yeah, it's called Kamiko. It's like... Um, you guys talk while I look this up. Yeah. Oh wow, that's such pretty. Oh, look at that stuff. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stubbs is on. He's guitar. all modest. It's like really good <laughs> stuff. I'm like, hey, Alex. Oh, neat. Is the Kamiko part? Is it the, the weaving of the wood, or is it the joinery? Yeah, it's joint. It's very. There's very small pieces of wood that are cut at extremely precise angles. No nails. No um, nails. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you all, don't hide the friction joints. fit together. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. wow. It's really mathematical. Yes, it's very. Uh, it's 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 a very kind of OCD endeavor because like those things, it's hundreds and hundreds of tiny little pieces of of wood oh that you God. methodically cut and That's fit nice. together. And that does yeah, seem like something so. you get into when you're in, under quarantine and can't leave your house. Yes, like, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I've been doing that lately. I would show you, but I'm making these. Um, I got a laser cutter 
I've been laser cutting and trying to design this shelf to hold a certain type of old retro video game part in the in the way that I like. I'll show you that. I'll show you that later. It's not when it's done. When it's done. But I'm getting <laughs> awesome. to work trying not to burn my house down with this laser cutter. Is the studio like are people back in the office or is it hybrid? It's is hybrid. It you know, like, this you... it's really changed things forever. I think some people are like, oh wait, I hated commuting. You know, this is I'm never coming back. And we're like, oh, okay. But a lot of people are you can tell it's so funny to see there's some people who desperately wanted to come back. There's some people who like either can't work at home, but also there's a lot of people who just like, I miss people. I want to be around people. And then some people are like, I am so happy all by myself at my house. And so it's it's funny to see that split. But we've been I've recently just like gone, hey, officially, could you guys try to come back on Tuesdays and Thursdays, please. Because it, it's um, it's hard because in San Francisco, San Francisco got too expensive after we started the company, and so people started moving out to other where other places in the Bay Area. So it's like uh, Oakland, and you know they live in the uh, San Jose out far away or Pen, uh, Petaluma, and they got really used to not commuting. And then when you not when you don't commute for a while, and then you ask someone, even me, I was like, everyone's got to come back to the office. And then I got back on the train again, and I was like, oh, that's right, commuting. It's terrible. Because <laughs> like, we're in our homes. We're like kings and queens. We're like surrounded by all, our, all the people we love, all the stuff we love, and our pets. We're like these emperors. And then we get on this. We're like, it's like Joe versus the volcano for a deep cut there. We're like, we're just marching off to the coal mines. Like, Ugh. So yeah. we're trying. We're trying. Because I, I do miss, you know, I don't know if you saw a documentary you made, but I was watching the documentary about the making of Psychonauts 2. And I seeing everybody in the office yeah. hanging out um, and not. And for important meetings, but also for dumb stuff and for playing board games or for just someone was like sitting at someone else's desk looking at some art and they're eating a bowl of cereal. And I was like, oh, my God, that's you never see that anymore. Like, first of all, COVID germs. But like it's like (laughs) just that downtime of like saying dumb stuff to the person who's not on your project while you're both in the kitchen and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. All that stuff seems to be. I realized that that was one of the things that I liked most about our company was that it was a fun place. It was a fun place, a fun group of people. It was great to hang out with them every day. And so I've been trying to recapture that while allowing for people to have those days where they get a lot of work done because they're at home. And I think a lot of bad Start habits it. develop, though. Like, people were like, oh, great, I'm at home, so I can, like, do all these errands. <laughs> I can, you know, it's, I mean, people, a lot of people, I'm not saying people aren't, aren't working hard, but I think when we're, we're working at home, we, like, get into this different routine, different rhythms. And Yeah, well, all of that, like, the unplanned conversations, or that's all fuel, you know? Like yeah. it's 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 like creative fuel, and then it's also like you get iterations on stuff that you mm-hmm. didn't plan for. It just just makes verbalizing stuff, stuff unlocks that. your head a lot of times. Like you're stuck in your own thoughts, and you're like playing adventure game. You're stuck on a puzzle. Like verbalizing yeah. it, sometimes you're like, I just solved my own problem by talking to this guy at the water cooler, <laughs> you know. And and that's something. Yeah. Well, also, I think it's really important to your mental health. I think a lot of people don't value that because they would call themselves introverts. And a lot of us in the games industry are introverts or combinations of introverts and extroverts. And there's times when I'm home alone, like, I love this. I never want to go in anywhere. I like being at my house. I don't want to go anywhere. And then I go to the office and I see everybody and we're all like laughing about something. And I was like, oh, that's right. I like people. I do like being around them. And I, you forget how you need, I think, I think everybody, even if they're introverted, needs a, needs a certain amount of social interaction. Or we get, we don't, you don't realize, but you're getting like depressed or you're getting uninspired or you're getting kind of in a rut and you don't know why you're um, not as inspired or happy as you used to be. And part of that's because you're not interacting with people. Start a commune. You know, best of both worlds. Sir, are you a commune? From- <laughs> Is it a conspiracy theory commune? <laughs> Or is it a Troll 2 themed? Troll 2 themed commune. <laughs> Everybody lives at their at home and they you're all together. That's is that the best of both worlds or, or the, the worst? worst of both worlds? I don't <laughs> well, know. Because you're like always together, you're at home. 
that's like game dev in your 20s like you like you're working at a yeah. big company and you go to <laughs> exactly. dinner with everybody from work and you play games with them at your house and like do we are we ever not yeah. in this mode this ex- <laughs> was it like that when you first were like at lucas was it kind of yeah actually that's I, I don't yeah. know what the answer to this would be. Like yeah, a, like a Bungie in the early days, it was like we were just talking to somebody who's still at Bungie now, but started 23 years ago or whatever. And he said he was shocked when he first came to visit us. He was working at a web agency. He came to visit us to interview, and there were cots in the office. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what is happening here? And like, was Lucas sort of that kind of collegial, like we're, you know, yeah. crunchy kind yeah. of game uh, and that's a whole issue but like when i first when i got there like we were a bunch of people in our 20s we all love games we all couldn't believe we we're working at skywalker ranch so we we're all pretty psyched to be there right <laughs> living your dream job yeah and everyone was so cool like we everyone was so creative and you know everyone was really smart and fun and like so yeah we all go out to dinner together like i just remember we go to ron gilbert's house to watch twin peaks when that first came out every week you know we watch the simpsons yeah. or like and uh we'd hang out constantly everyone was like dating each other and stuff. so it's like um <laughs> That like it was like really, and that's it's really fun for a few years when you're right out of school because that's kind of what school is like. That's kind of like what college might have been like for you or like your your young life. So, and then I remember one day we're um, in the middle of McAllen or coming on the the beginning of the last third of it, and Ron just stuck his head in our office and was like, "Hey, Tim and Dave, they're getting down to that part of the project where we have to start working nights and weekends." And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, yeah, great," because we were just so into it, like, "Yeah, some McAllen, let's do it." And then we worked this some. Um, Big crunch mode to make Monk Island one, and then Monk Island two. Like, well, it should take the same amount of time as Monk Island one, but we designed a game that's like five times as big without realizing it. And then the crunch mode for that was just constant, and um, it got a little more heated. Like, I remember fighting with, like, we were squirting each other with water pistols, and we got into this wrestling match where we we're trying to dunk water in each other's heads, and it was getting really like I was like, this has gone too far. We're we trying to kill each other. I think we really <laughs> kill each other. But um, it was that's really, how really wide crunch. load was too. Yeah. Sorry to and I, but that, and that's when I was married at the time, and that's when that marriage ended because I was like at work all the time. I didn't understand why it bothered my wife. I was like, "I'm the one working super hard. What do you? Why, why are you complaining that not coming home?" And she was like, "Okay, fine." And then <laughs> before I knew it, it was over, and I was like, "Oh, that's why. Oh, that's why I should have gone home." You know, I think a lot of it's affected a lot of marriages, young marriages back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then after that, like, Daily Tentacle really didn't have any much crunch mode on it at all because we had, like, an extra six months because it was our first talkie. So we did our first, like, voice. We're like, okay, game's done. Let's add voice to it now. And, like, you know, we had six months of adding voice to it. And so we had the storyboards, which made it all much more <laughs> That's uh, right. predictable and stuff. <laughs> no but, script, but the storyboards. But then we had ba- crunch on throttle. and But you're right. Like, early on, it's, just, it's tied with the camaraderie. Like, there's this weird togetherness feeling of the like, crunch mode in the early days when you're young. And I, yeah. we want, like, in some ways, you want it because you're like, I remember, I'm going to prove, I'm going to see how long I can stay awake. I remember during Thrill Throttle at one point, I stayed up for 36 hours. I'm like, I, I'm going to get all this dialogue written. I'm going to stay up. And I, and I only did that once. And you're just like, and then uh, it, it was that way on um, Grim Fandango. And then Psychonauts 1 had this terrible crunch. But it's during Psychonauts 1, we all just collectively broke. We we're like, I, even though we had these lovely memories of like, getting together and, and eating Chinese food in, at night for dinner and watching Arrested Development together. Like, we were, we were tight. We were bonded. We all liked each other. But near the end of it, we were just like, let's never do this again. Let's never let's never have this crunch mode again. So we we studied new production methods. We'd never heard of Scrum before. We're like, we're going to read about Scrum. We're going to learn these things. We're going to change our build process so we can lock the builds earlier. We just did all these things to, like, 
starting to value going home and like and all a lot of us are also yeah. getting older so are having kids and i think that helped a lot or like yep. a, you got to go home and really just trying to change our mindset about crunch mode like is this not healthy because the, the problem with the crunch mode is that there's there's like sinister and not sinister reasons for it there's, the sinister is that a company is exploiting you because they're like we we need this deadline not to move we're not going to give you any more t- budget and we can't lower the quality bar so the only thing that lo- they can lower is like the quality of life of all the employees. So they, you get a company can't exploit people with, with crunch mode, but there's this also, there's like the thing that I've been, which is someone who's so creative, someone's so focused on the creative part of the game. They can't see anything else. Like how hard people are working. They're just like, guys, it has to be good. We have to do this. And yeah. every, and sometimes people get into that. They're like, yeah, he's, we got to do this. It's gotta be good. So it, there's a positive and negative side of that where you're like, you believe in what you're making. It feels good to work hard on it. And you don't see that things are happening, like your marriage is falling apart or something like that. You know, you're so focused. And then there's this part of individual, even like an individual working on an indie game all by themselves can crunch themselves because they're just like, this is me. This game is me. There's no difference. There's no boundary between me and the game. It has to be super good. It has to be perfect. I'm going to just work on it. There's no one telling you. There's no producer to tell you to chill out or have a deadline or whatever like that so you just like work on it constantly and i know a lot of indie devs who've done this who just worked on the same game for 12 years and won't release it because it's not perfect or whatever um and burn themselves out that way so it's like you have an individual and you have like a creative leader and you have a company that might all kind of want you to crunch and it's a very hard mindset to change and it's a constant fight and we still do it to this day as you saw in that documentary which you should watch have you seen that documentary by the way yeah I haven't seen all the episodes. It's long. It's daunting because it's long, but once you start, you won't be able to stop because it's... Oh, yes. wait. I think you just... <laughs> How do you watch you it? I, I haven't it's seen it. It's on our YouTube either. channel. You it's on the Double Fine YouTube channel. It's free. Just get a beer. Get a beer and enjoy it. How, how do you how do, how do you watch this? Go to the Double Fine YouTube channel and there's a... It's serious. There's a playlist <laughs> called the Double Fine Psychodicy and it's this group two-player productions who okay. they came into our studio to record our Kickstarter years ago and they just never left and they joined the payroll and they just start... They hide out in the corner. Of, they've hung out in the corner of our offices for so long no one even sees them anymore. And they've been filming and we didn't expect Psychonauts 2 to be so such a roller coaster because we thought we were so smart, so much smarter than we made the first one. Like we learned all these lessons. We're we're veterans. We know how to make a predictable game. And it was just such a crazy experience and such a more a more difficult project than anyone anticipated. And um, it's all in film. Like they filmed every they filmed us fighting and we filmed us like oh, firing people wow. and having tear people people crying and stuff. And we put and it was a backer reward, so it kind of like couldn't like back out of it. And I kind of wanted to tell that story. Like I kind of wanted like I'm a, I always wanted to like let people know what game development is like, the good and the bad, because it's it is what it is. And it's like I think there's a lot of mystery to it because all the making of documentaries you watch are made by it's a marketing asset. It's meant to sell the game, yeah, so they only right. tell the positive side of it. They never talk about what they had to cut and the to- the mm-hmm. the toll it took on the team to to work hard and all that stuff is never really shared. And I want to share that because I think there is. Even though we put all that rough stuff in there, we hired at least three people since then. It was like, I came here because of that documentary. I really thought, it, I really loved, like you still see all this creative collaboration and all this, um, uh, the positive side of a team working together. A team who like likes each other and works and likes what they're working on and like the good and the bad of game development. So I recommend it. It's very entertaining. I'm going to check it out. Alex I love start, that kind Alex of stuff. didn't finish it. You got to get through. Well, I got to I gotta finish Dork too. So I got, I got two things on my... Is it and it's free, right? You can yeah. just get on there and yeah. watch. The, right. So we'll, we'll do a giveaway. Can. We'll do. It might be too close to home. You might watch it and get uh, PTSD tr- trigger symptoms of like your last. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh god, because you can map. It's like looking at someone else's yearbook from high school, and you can map everyone you knew to their character in their high school. You know, ever seen that? Like, you're like, oh my god, you had that popular guy, and you had that jog, and they had the. Um, 
you'll watch it and you'll see people from your own company in our company, I bet. And you'll be like, oh no, <laughs> I can't relive this. Double Fine Psych Odyssey. Double Fine Psych Odyssey. That's right. Oh, Psych Odyssey. Put the emphasis on any syllables you want. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 1220. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we all have to go eat lunch. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you all. I learned so much. Troll 2. <laughs> Troll 2. Grab a beer, baby. Thanks, Tim. Great to see you. Well, yep. thanks for having me. Lovely speaking to you. Nice to meet you, Tim. And we'll see you nice around. Nice to meet you too, Aaron. All right. Bye, guys. Cheers. See, see ya. How cool was that to chat with Tim Schaefer? Tim's like everybody's favorite game dev. I remember one of my friends I went to school with, college with, art school with, life school. <laughs> life school? <laughs> I just keep going. That dude. <laughs> yeah. I remember we were in school and we were like learning, uh, this is when like multimedia was new, you know, CDs had just come out and like we were trying to get into games. There's no way to get into games. There was no way. Like you had to go to USC or <laughs> USC. That was it. There was like nowhere to go. That was it. It was, you know, film school. So we were in this, in this class and uh, he walked up to me and he was like, hey, I know how we can get into, into the industry. And he showed me this animation magazine. Anyways, that dude ended up working with Tim Schafer. He was he said he wrote, co-wrote, what is the Halloween one? Costume Quest. When I asked him, how do you make an adventure game? Partly, you know, like as I was looking at all the games that he's made. That's a well, big I know, question, but like though. as I was looking at all the games he made, I, it just occurred to me. It's like he spent the bulk of his career in this genre. And there's some things about it that uh, he's exceptional at. I mean, he's exceptional at everything about it, but there's some things that just stand out, like writing is a, is a much bigger part of the craft for that genre than it is for, say, other oh, genres, right? right? that's true, yeah. So my, my question was partly like, hey, point. this is a question that our listeners might actually enjoy the answer to, but selfishly, it was a really, it was legitimately a question from me. It's like, Tim, how do you... How do you more, more so than how does how does one That's a very like big how question, do you though. Tim like, how do you make an adventure game and I actually I thought it's he was he gave this like game? a really yeah kind of like simplified answer but it was uh, I think super cool almost like a hierarchy about the way he thinks about creating a world and then a hero and a villain and how important the villain is because the villain's trying to do something and setting his hero on a course to intersect you know the villain's nefarious actions and and. Just listening to a you know master craftsperson talk about how they approach something, they make it sound so simple, you know. <laughs> oh, hey, we can do that. Yeah. It's just five steps. It's like a recipe, but obviously it's not that simple. But it, I just thought it was really interesting to hear him simplify the the craft of building an adventure game so succinctly. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, also, talking to him. His cat, like the writing for trash can thing, I thought was really. I'm in that state now, like all the time. I think that is probably the best piece of advice. I got it from, I think it was Stephen King. Mm -hmm. I read his On Writing book. If you have, if you're a writer and you want to learn how to write, On Writing is the best yeah. book in my opinion. Even if you're not, not a writer, writer like, uh, you know, it's I, a great, it's a great book. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, it's fantastic. And that there is this like rawness and this simplicity. And you see that with food too, you know, like some of the best food is just really like, it's not over-processed, it's raw, more on the raw side, it's like simpler. I don't know, now I'm getting all weird, poetic, but... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. You know, I feel like it's better for your body, it tastes better. Clean and like fuel. All these yeah. things, clean fuel. I think that translates into all mediums. Hmm. Complexity tends to ruin things sometimes. Mm. 
you know, overcomplicated. Yeah. I'm still kind of like hung over on the last little talk we just had of the depressing <laughs> thing. <laughs> so, like you took me to this like, yeah, let's get emo, dude. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, we can't end there. Alex just like rubbed his face like, oh, my gosh. He does that. So <laughs> just cleansing. It. Just cle- oh, cleansing Alex. it out. <laughs> just no, I think, I, I think that's cleansing. solid. I think I that's would. a good place to uh, let everybody get back to their day. Th- yes, thanks for being with us. Yes, thanks for joining us on this monumental episode. If you've made it this far to the episode, then you are the folks that I want to ask to, hey, if you have an extra moment, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a rating if you're going to get it five stars. You know, if you don't want to give it five stars, then go make a sandwich. But but you have a moment. The ratings do help us out, and it's really appreciated. Thank you again for listening. We really do. We talk about it. it. We talk about it. We do. do. It's like we really appreciate it. So thanks for being along with the journey with us, and we will see you next time. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to the Fourth Curtain Podcast. To get a peek at upcoming episodes or to send in questions to the show, visit our site at thefourthcurtain.com. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Ulysses out.